You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church and the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am PJ alongside, well, actually a, a new person for today, but I mean, he really doesn't need an introduction because he's really not new. He's actually as old as Methuselah. Really? And if you don't know who Methuselah is, you can just read Genesis and uh, you'll find out who Methuselah was. He was like the oldest man who's ever lived. And I know when you preach to Genesis, you're going to talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to talk about I that. I am glad to be here. But Pastor Gus is with me today. Matt is sick, so pray for a quick recovery for him. But hey, Gus, thanks so much for joining us. Well, I am so excited to be with you today and to join Pastor Josh in this final uh, series that he's ending on Engage and with Commission. I am excited <laughs> to fill in for Matt. Yeah, since you oversee Commission. Commission, Yeah, yes, so yes. this was your probably favorite message. I think I said that to the staff, but yesterday as I was reviewing, they all built to this one. This was the climax. It was. I mean, it was. It was. It really was building to commission, and there was even a part within commission where I showed how the the previous three yes. actually feed into commission. Like right. they they all work together. Like that's that's the thing. I mean, I would love to have preached all of them as one big huge message, but then we would have been here for about, you know, 4 or 5 hours and people wouldn't have liked that. Well, I think the way you build it up, you started with the church yeah. and that series that you started with the church on engage and then you go into connect cultivate, care, and commission, there's a one feed. They all overlap very well. Yeah, they all overlap. So, yeah, it was it was a great series, and I definitely enjoyed it. I know that it was like drinking from a fire hose, so I've, I've definitely expressed that. I know that. It was intentional, though, because now, now you know why we did the series, is that we launched church membership, and I'm sure or we'll, we'll be relaunching church membership, So, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later on. But I'll just kind of turn it over to you, and what we got? Well, thank you, Pastor Josh, for this series. You said the main point was Jesus commissioned his church from everywhere to everywhere to share and show the good news that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is making all things new. I think that was really setting the base. And then you went on, as usual, to give us these four questions, you know, that we were going to answer. And then from the question, you started to drill down to the application. So the four questions were, why does Jesus commission his church to neighbors and nations? How does the church engage in the commission? What are the two forces or sides of commission, and where is Jesus' commission going? Hmm. So that was where we, we started off, but then you would come out and say, why the four C's? And then we're going to be talking about why did we do this, this series, as you've yeah. mentioned. Yeah. You laid out a lot of scriptures. No apologies for that, <laughs> by the way, I can say that. Yeah, well, and, and, just, and just to kind of even recap and remind people, I would always start with Acts 2, you know, somewhere between 42 and 47, because Acts 2 gives us this kind of synopsis, this summary that Dr. Luke writes about the early church there in Jerusalem. And so we see how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the 
breaking of bread and to the prayers. We see how they met together in the temple courts and then from home to home or house to house and how they shared everything really in common. And if there were any needs, they would sell possessions. And so uh, and then we saw even this past week how the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And what I wanted to do is in some sense use that picture as a launching pad. Yes. That you do see all four activities, Connect, Cultivate, Care, Commission, in the early church summary. Mm-hmm. But then I wanted to do a deep biblical dive from beginning to end of how those C's are demonstrated really throughout the canon, which just basically means the overall story of of God in the scripture. So the canon being the, the scripture. So that's all I wanted to do is kind of use that as the diving board yes. into the depths of scripture. So the, which is why I used a lot of scripture to support these seas that these seas were not just something that the that the early church did by themselves. Yes. This is something that has always been embedded within the story of God and his mission in the world. And one of the things you did throughout the series is that to go through the scriptures, you will start in Genesis 1 and 2. You will make that very clear. And then you will show us in creation. Then you will show Israel. Then you will show the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And then you will start to talk about the church today. So all of those four C's came out very clear. Yeah. And, and then just again, what, you know, as, as points of, of clarity. So when you look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, because I know that when I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking to people who have no biblical knowledge yes. and people who have a lot of biblical knowledge. But I think it's really important to understand that between Genesis and Revelation, so the very first book of the Bible, uh, the last book of the Bible, 1,500 years, you know, in between when Genesis was written, when when Revelation was written, you have at least 40 different authors and, you know, three different continents in which the Bible was written on. But within the 66 individual books that comprise the Bible, there is one overarching story. And when you look at the overarching story, it is the story of God and the story of his mission in the world, and you can chart that mission, you can chart that story through creation, Adam and Eve, Israel, Jesus, the church, and then the new city, Jerusalem. Yes. And so uh, it's that's that that those in some sense are the big section headings, if you will, yes. uh, to the end, you know, in some sense in, in you know, in the chapters, but but the big headings, creation, Adam and Eve, Israel, Jesus. The church and the new, cre- you know, new creation, new city, Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. So what I like about that, you're going to share with us a little bit, is that you've laid out this scripture. It wasn't exhaustive. Mm-hmm. At the nine, you mentioned you wanted to talk about more of this. Yeah. So can you share how the 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 psalms, the songs we sing about God's heart for the nation, because you really quickly went into. The, the the lesson there, the preaching, the teaching, that you quickly started by teaching us what is God's heart for the nations on your first point that you gave us. Why does Jesus commission his church to neighbors and nations? Yeah. So let's deep dive into that. Yeah. So, I mean, and so I'm going to actually be flipping through uh, a couple of these Psalms and just kind of reading them. But uh, Psalm 2, it's a messianic Psalm. 
and it talks about ask and I will give the nations as your inheritance. Talking about the kind of the, the son of man. So you got, you know, Psalm 2, and then you flip over and you look at uh, Psalm 57, 9. So just kind of going to turn there. So 57, 9 talks about, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the people. So there's this idea. I'm going to, I'm going to testify through song about you to the nations. And then you can kind of fast forward to uh, Psalm 67, uh, 67 verse 2, so that your way, so may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, which is actually a reminiscence of number six in this kind of priestly prayer, Mm -hmm. like make your face shine upon us. And then verse 2 of Psalm 67, 2 says, So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Uh, I mean, so so here we got the psalmist is saying we want God's salvation to be known among the nations. And then just some other ones. Uh, you have Psalm 72, Psalm 96, Psalm 99, Psalm 112, Psalm 119.46, Psalm 126, 2 through 3, and then Psalm 145, 11 through 12. I mean, that that's just the Psalms that talked about it. But then you could also look in 2 Kings chapter 5, where you have this commander of the Syrian army named Naaman or Naaman. He actually comes to faith in Yahweh. Right, yeah. I mean, so you, you you have more and more that, again, we, we could just, just talk about all of these ways that God has actually wanted to reveal himself to the nations. So what I'm hearing and what we're learning here is that if you look about the, the Psalms only, but also right throughout the Scripture, because some of those Psalms, they will refer to the story in the Scripture. So God has always been weaving the nations throughout the scriptures. And you always go back to Genesis. How can you link that with Genesis? You just read a couple of Psalms here. How can you link that back that this was the heart of God right from Genesis? Yeah, well, for right, right from Genesis in terms of the nations, just going back to you read Genesis 10, there's a, there's a formation or a creation of the table of nations. Mm-hmm. And you're asking yourself, like, where did they come from? Okay. And the answer is going to be in Genesis 11. Now, but but here's like, let me go a little bit. Let me give you kind of more of a, a a rationale for that. All right. So when you're reading Genesis 1 and you see that God is creating the heavens and the earth, and then we, we look at the days, you yeah. know, day one, he creates light. Day two, you know, he kind of creates the, the you know, kind of the, the, I say the heaven, the structures. Um, and then, you know, then he's going to create kind of the the, the earth and the, the, the land vegetation. And then he's is going to start filling them. Yes. Okay. Well, then you get to the sixth day also, and he's created the animals, then he's created mankind. Yes. And you're like, okay, well, I want to know the deeper background to, okay, where, where did where did the man and woman come from? All you see is this idea of let us make man in our own image, and so he made them male and female, you yes. know, and so... You're like, okay, well, does, is there any more backdrop? Well, Genesis 2 gives you the backdrop of Genesis 1. So Genesis 1 is the overview. Yes. 
Genesis 2 is the details. So it's going to go into a little bit more detail of how Adam was created, then Eve. Okay, So Genesis 10 gives you the overview of the creation of of the table of nations. Mm -hmm. Genesis 11 is going to give you the backdrop of how the nations came about. So very similar to what happened with Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, you get the more detailed story in Genesis 2. Same thing with Genesis 10 and 11 Mm -hmm. when it comes to the nations. So now you have the nations that are created through God's judgment because they came together as one people, one language to build a city for their own glory. Right. Well, so he comes down, God comes down, judges them, and the judgment is now talking in you know in different languages. So now they are scattered. Right. And in Genesis 12, God's going to call a man out of that region by the name of Abram, and and then later on, God's going to change his name to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so his name means father, but now Abraham means a father of a multitude. Yeah. So it's interesting how he's going to change his name to reflect what he promises to do through Abraham in Genesis 12, that through you and your descendants, I will bless all families of the earth. Yeah. Now, I'll give you another little point of just connection, too. So in Acts chapter 2, so again, that's the base that we have always started on. But if you read earlier in Acts chapter 2, we see the spirit fall. Yes, Acts 2. And we see we see now the uh, Jewish uh, people. They had been dispersed. They had been scattered because of exile, uh, be, because of captivity. They had been dispersed all kind of over the kind of known world at the time. But now you have people, and it talks about from every nation mm-hmm. coming to Jerusalem. Yes. And when the Spirit of God falls on on the church. And the the disciples are at that point now, the apostles begin to speak. All of these different uh, Jews from all of these different parts of the world who spoke a different language, they were hearing them speak in their language. Yes, yes. So now what you have with the coming of Jesus, and I didn't even get into it because, again, I don't want, you know, there was already a lot of information, but what you have in the coming of Jesus through his death and resurrection and him sending the Spirit Mm -hmm. on his church, and you see this in Acts 2, is this reversal now of Babel. Mm. So where the language, uh, you know, where the, the where the one language was confused because God confused their language by creating these different uh, people groups' languages, now in Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, there will be this uniting of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. So again, so you see that in Genesis 10, 11, and 12. The heart of God through Abraham is I'm going to bless all the families of the earth, meaning I'm going to bring salvation to them. Right. And so you see that fulfill, you, you see the, the, you know, you see the, at least the inaugural, so the beginning of that fulfillment happen in Acts 2. And so it's pretty neat how that's all coming together. Yes. And still on that first point that God, Jesus commissioned the church, one of the things you brought out I think I've heard this, but it was very clear. The many ways that God was giving us his mission, the mission to the church. This time you are able to give it to us in four different ways. You know, God, the first one was God's mission. God is on mission to create a people for himself to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. So you continue to build upon that. 
How can you fit all of that together to know that, yes, God was on mission because the word, uh, the word of the, that God is on mission is throughout the scripture. Yeah. But how do you give us those different iterations of the mission of God? Yeah. And just know, like, the, the word mission is not seen in scripture, just like the word Trinity is not seen in scripture. So, so the, 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 actually the term mission comes from the Latin word missio, which actually means to, to be sent, you know, but what, what, what we're really looking at is, okay, so God is creating man and he is giving them a task. Yes. He's kind of he's kind of giving them a command of what he wants them to do, which is now we're kind of really putting this idea of mission in terms of the purposes are the really the purpose of God, mm-hmm. and so it's, you know so so it's three iterations of God's mission, and they follow suit. Yeah, they follow suit from creation to fall to actually re, you know to to actually the creation of now the multitude of of people so so every tribe nation tongue and people group so so in some sense these iterations of the definition of God's mission they they're found early on in the book of Genesis to kind of track the what's happening in the world okay mm-hmm. so uh, God creates the world he puts mankind his prize creation in the midst of the world in the garden and gives them what scholars call the creation mandate to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. And so as, as they would fulfill this creation mandate, they would actually reflect God's glory. So, so that's where this idea of that first iteration comes from is that God is on mission to create a people for himself to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. It, it, here's just another way of also looking at it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, by creating Adam and Eve in his image and putting them here on earth and the Garden of Eden being a temple. So like, and that's why I've, I've used the word Edenic temple. So basically it, Eden is a temple because that's where God, he dwells among Adam and Eve. What's, what's fascinating throughout scripture, you can always see that God has always intended to bring heaven to earth or to bring his kingdom. Another way of putting it, bring his kingdom to earth. Right. So that's why when I say to create a people, I'm really envisioning and actually really wanting to use the word kingdom. But because we live in, in a constitutional republic, also a democracy, but but okay, for all of those who wants to be very technical about it, a constitutional republic, okay, uh, since we live in the, the the context, we don't really understand kingdom, even though I do say King Jesus, and I want people to understand that. But really, I could be saying God is on mission to create a kingdom mm. for himself to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. So, so when I use the word people, a people, yes. I'm really meaning a kingdom, mm-hmm. that God has always wanted to bring his kingdom to earth. So that's why you could also say that God, God's kingdom is at least initiated in the garden, like this idea of his kingdom is initiated in the garden, where it's undermined by Adam and Eve. It is foreshadowed. Now, his kingdom is foreshadowed in Israel, where it is undermined by their sin and disobedience. His kingdom is inaugurated in G- because Jesus, he is the better Adam. He is the better Israel. He is God incarnate. He is the king incarnate come to bring God's kingdom to earth. 
Now God's kingdom is reflected in the church. So, so the church isn't the kingdom, but reflects the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated. And now that's why we're waiting on his second return, because it's when he's going to consummate the kingdom. It's going to be this huge coronation, this ceremony where he actually comes back for his bride. And that's the, the, the church. And now you're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb and they're going to live forever in the new city, Jerusalem. In this, in this now new creation where God's kingdom has come in totality at the very end, which will be the very beginning of eternity. Amen. So, 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 so that's where I, you know, these iterations where I use a people, you could also substitute that as a kingdom, which then the second iteration would be that God is on mission to redeem a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's got to redeem now because you know, and this is where, like, for those of you who are watching uh, online, I mean, I think you might can see this, but you, you, you've seen me create this image before, where you have the kingdom of God on the left, the kingdom of man on the right. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they got kicked out of God's kingdom, they got kicked out of the temple, they got kicked out of God's presence, and so therefore you have the track of the kingdom of man, and so that's why Jesus has to be sent into the kingdom of man so that he could redeem a people. Mm -hmm. And so the middle circle is Jesus's redeeming power to redeem a people who are now reflecting God's kingdom, his already but not yet kingdom. And so that's why we're we're part of God's kingdom, but God's kingdom, it, it, it was inaugurated in Jesus's first coming, but it is reflected in the church. So that's why we're this mediator, mm-hmm. but we, we stand in the gap between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. So, so that's why it's really important to understand how this iteration takes place and that a people was really a kingdom which then leads to that third iteration, which now is that God is on mission to redeem a kingdom from, in some sense, all kingdoms. So all kingdoms of, of man. So from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, God is on mission to create now through redemption a kingdom for himself from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. Mm-hmm. And so... Why? So that they might reflect his glory in all spheres of life. And so that's why I keep saying that this idea of reflection of God's glory is reflecting his characteristics, his attributes, his nature, and thus, in essence, reflecting his kingdom. And so now at the very end, though, where you see the new city uh, come down out of heaven, uh, we no longer necessarily have to reflect because we are going to be in this perfect created order where there will be no more sin, no more essence of the fallenness and the brokenness of man. We We will bask in God's glory as we imitate and image him through everything that we do. Amen. So. You've also said that people who are part of the kingdom who have to be on mission with God as image bearers. One more time, just talk to us about when you said we have to create, relate, and operate because we are in the kingdom. Yeah. And commission is that uh, activity to be on mission with God. How do we create? How do we relate and how do we operate? Because that's what kingdom people should be busy about. 
Yeah, so, I mean, that's the essence of what it means to be human, relate, create, and operate. So, again, you take those five things that we see in Genesis one twenty eight that God gave Adam and Eve. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. So you can take those five things, you can condense them down into to these three big buckets. We're going to relate with one another. So we're going to be fruitful and we're going to multiply. So how we relate to one another should reflect the way God relates to us. And also this idea of relate is also how we relate to God. So we we hear him, we listen to him, we we obey him. So we're going to relate to him, we're going to relate to others, and, and as we relate to others, we're going to be fruitful and multiply. You know, the essence of a healthy relationship when it comes to a man and woman in a marriage is reproduction. We're going to be healthy relationally and then physically, right? So he wanted them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So there's the idea of relate. Then create. He wants them to subdue the ground. So he wants them to take raw materials. So say, you know, um, when I, uh, so in 2025, I know that's a long way away, but we're going to start through the book of Genesis and we're just going to walk through. I'm going to really bring out a lot of this because when I'm just giving the overview, I'm not able to dive as deep in it as I actually would like. But think about English or, you know, you can think about it in, in you know, any language because I know that we, we got some, uh, Portuguese speaking brothers and sisters, obviously Spanish speaking brothers and sisters, but just take language. Okay. So, uh, language is formed through the utterances of what we can make with our mouth. And so you start to form a language and, and words. And then you give those words a definition, you give those words a meaning, and then you have all of these words that have these meanings and these utterances, and then you begin to formulate sentences that actually communicate. And, And so the more sentences that you form and communicate, the deeper your communication is. That is an act of creation. That is an act of making. You're taking the raw materials, the raw materials of sound. You're giving them utterances, specific utterances of what you're going to say in terms of a word. Then you're going to give that word. You're going to ascribe that word a meaning. So now you have all of these words that have all of these meanings. But if you just start just randomly throwing out words Mm -hmm. with all of these different meanings, then it's not going to be very helpful in the communication. And So now you're going to put it to order. Yes. That's exactly what the Lord did in creation. He began to speak the world into existence, giving shape and form, structures and systems to bring about not only the functionality, but flourishing. That is the essence of creating. So again, we do that with language. Uh, you do that with science. You do that with education. Uh, you, I mean, you do it in every realm of vocation. Uh, here's an inter- interesting thought. So the word, the Latin word missing means to kind of be sent to do something, right? Okay, well, the Latin word vocatio is where we get our word vocation. It means a call. So that's where a lot of times the whole idea of the creation mandate in Genesis 1.28 is the call to Adam and Eve, what they're going to do vocationally as human beings so that they might live on mission uh, that God had given them as image bearers. So that's why image bearers are who we are. It's why we exist, to image God. How are we going to do that? 
the how the how is the vocatio. It's the call. It's the human call of how we relate, create, and operate. And that creation is taking raw materials and doing something with them. I mean, just think about even how we create metals today. You're taking the raw materials. You're making something like metal buildings, steel, like uh, brick buildings. Where, where do you think the bricks came from? You know, so it's this idea of creation and then the idea of operation is that now you're encompassing everything of what it truly means to be human. Uh, now you're embedded in time and space. Uh, you have gifts. Uh, uh, you have these possessions that God has given you. Uh, and now you're going to steward them in a manner that glorifies God. So you're going to operate under the lordship or the authority of God. So, so that's why that's, I mean, again, that is so important. It's the essence, which is why when Jesus redeems us, and I give the definition of discipleship, learning what it means to be human and part of the new human race after the image and likeness of Jesus. That's what I'm getting at is that you're learning how to relate to one another the way Jesus related to others and the way he related to his father, uh, the the way we create. I mean, because Jesus, he redeemed the way we even see creation. Yes. Um, so uh, so th- think about it. Like, so in uh, Luke 19, mm-hmm. you have as Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And so uh, <laughs> there was a whole there was a whole song there, right? So, we're not going to sing it. We're not going to sing it. <laughs> So Jesus comes by and he says, hey, man, I got to stay at your house today. Yes. So he stays at Zacchaeus' house. Uh, Zacchaeus is transformed by Jesus. Yes. And what is Jesus, what is in some sense uh, Zacchaeus' transformation? What's well, a business transformation, actually? Yes. Because he's like, I'm no longer going to defraud anyone. What? See, b- because... His defrauding of people as a tax collector was a manifestation of the brokenness mm-hmm. of how we as human ba- how we as human beings engage in vocation. Right. But in Jesus, uh, we are redeemed in how we see vocation. That's why he's like, I'm not going to defraud anybody because now I'm going to take my vocation. I'm going to take my vocatio, my calling as a human being when it comes to the realm of vocation or career, and I'm going to make sure I use it in a manner that glorifies Jesus, my King. So we see that even with Zacchaeus. I don't want to. I don't want to defraud anybody anymore. I actually want to be generous. I want to. I want to use my platform to actually do good for people in the name of Jesus. That's why Paul is going to write in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. See, he's redeemed the way we think about eating and drinking and doing. So what I like about that, the kingdom people who are going to be on this mission, commission, you really took us into a deep dive by where you started to talk about the cost of mission. I think we who come to... God will come to Christ like you gave Paul and Zacchaeus those examples. Tell us a little bit how we can experience. This is the hardest part of our calling. How are we going to be able to start to bring the changes that needs to happen that will cost us? You talk about a new God, new identity, new family, new direction, and new purpose. How does the church engage 
today in this commission that were our vocation were sent. Talk a little bit about those five areas again and expand on that a little bit. Yeah, it, it really is an understanding of what it truly costs you to join God mm-hmm. in his mission. Yeah. Again, his mission of redeeming a kingdom from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, there is a cost to that. Yes. And so, and that's, and I feel like, and this is part of where I feel like sometimes the church has done such a disservice. And again, I'm, I'm sp- speaking in general, but that we've in some sense di- divorced discipleship from mission. Mm-hmm. And so you just need to follow Jesus. No, ha- ha- yeah, you do need to follow Jesus. And there, there is this cost of discipleship, but the, the essence of being a disciple of Jesus is joining him on the Father's mission. Mm-hmm. And so, which is why when Jesus came, his very first words of his ministry were, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the inauguration. Here's what I've come to do. So if you follow me, you're joining God on this mission of redeeming a kingdom. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there is a cost Mm. to that. And I do feel like, I, I really do feel like, and I don't, like, I love the church. I love the church. Amen. But I, I do feel like that there are many churches, there are many pastors and leaders, they have so watered down the cost of following Jesus, and they have so divorced it from God's mission that we don't even know what it really truly means to follow Jesus anymore. It's just like, you know, I mean, it's kind of like we got a, you know, a little card that was get out of hell free card. No, that like that, that is not the essence of a redemption. That is not the essence of salvation. That is not the essence of following Jesus that I get out of hell. Sure, that is a perk, but... The whole idea of joining Jesus is joining God on mission. So you have now a you have a loss of authority. So whatever or whoever was calling the shots in your life, no longer call the shots because because now you are following a new God, capital G. Mm-hmm. And his name is Jesus. And so so you're going to now let him be your authority. Um so here's another idea. All right, so so Adam and Eve in Genesis two, yes. you you see uh, you see this kind of summary that a man shall leave his father and mother mm-hmm. and and cleave to his wife. So that's why you you have this idea in marriage. You're going to leave and you're going to cleave, uh, and that that cleaving is you're going to become one flesh. Yes. Okay, same idea. Is is being presented in Abraham and eventually in Jesus when he calls his disciples. You got to leave your homeland. You got to you got to leave mm-hmm. your culture. Yes, like you got to leave what you worship. Yes, and you got to cleave to me. Right, you're going to leave and you're going to cleave. You 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 and I are going to become one, Abraham, in the in the sense of mm-hmm. like I I I'm going to be I'm going to be your God. And then when Jesus, when he's teaching on the church uh, and his disciples, uh, and and Paul's going to pick up this theme, is that that his church, his his disciples are his bride. Yes. So we're going to leave, 
and we're going to cleave to Jesus. So he is our new God. He is our new king. Now we have a new identity of who we are. Identity speaks of who you are and actually whose you are. So so now, because of what Jesus has done, we have been bought with a price. He died on the cross to purchase our sin debt so that we would not have to face God's wrath because of our sin. Mm -hmm. So now we are hidden in Jesus in his identity. So that's who we are. We are his. And so going back to those, you know, kind of uh, in some sense, those uh, five, you could call them identities of the church. We are the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. We are the bride of Christ. We are the temple of God. We're the new household of God. And we are the new citizens or the kingdom, part of the kingdom of God. So those are, those are our, who we are. Those are our five new identities rooted in the ultimate identity, Jesus, okay? So now we have this new identity. So that actually is going to actually affect how you live. See, who you are and whose you are affects what you do. Yes. Oh, then you're part of this new family. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know, so you're you're going to see God's people differently. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not just going to see them as random people. You're not just going to see them as, you, you, you know, oh, they're, they're nice people. Oh, they're weird people. No, they're your family, uh, this new direction. Mm-hmm. So when when you look at when you look at mission now, join the cost of mission is, okay, where is God directing you? Yes. Um, where is he directing you in life? What What is he calling you to do? Like you're constantly making sure that you are following the path that God has set for you. And then ultimately, as you follow his direction, you are embracing his purpose, which is why, like, I really, I really, I can't even stress enough how it was so counterintuitive that Abraham would live to bless the nations. Like, that's why I started with the, this element of in Genesis 18, he's trying to intercede on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to destroy them because of their wickedness. But you see Abraham trying to live out the purpose that God gave him that, hey, he gave me to bless families of the earth. Well, here's some families of the earth. Here's some, here's some cities. Mm-hmm. So let, let me, let me kind of practice this. Now, uh, you, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that I talk about with, you know, kind of Genesis 18 and Abraham interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, you, do you remember, you know, he started whittling it down yeah, to how many righteous would be in the city. Yes, I remember. So I think it's like if 50, you know, God's like, yeah, I'll spare the city if there was 50. Uh, then well, what about 20? Yeah, I'll spare. I'll spare the cities if you can find 20 righteous people. Then he said 10. He did not. Here's here's one of the things huh. that I've preached on on this passage before. He never got to one. Mm. He ne- if there was one righteous person, I didn't see that. Um, because it never dawned on him. Yes. See, he was interceding, praying. Yes, he didn't intercede to become the sacrifice for him. <laughs> see, you would have to wait. Yeah. Until Jesus would come, who is interceding yes. because he's the one righteous man. Yes. See, all it took, see, that's the thing. 
It, it didn't take 50 righteous. I mean, because God knew that. God knew that hey, you never will find 50. God knew you would never find 20. God knew that you would never find 10. But God knew that there would be one righteous person that would stand in the gap and that would take, would take upon himself the judgment of God. God, yes. And mm-hmm. that wouldn't be revealed until Jesus. Right. And, and so, but but at least Abraham's practicing. He's practicing trying to be a blessing to intercede because that's what God gave him. But again, that that's counterintuitive. I mean, because like uh, I am like I'm watching some docu you know docu series right now on just empires. Yeah. I pro- like I promise you, Alexander the Great is not dying for King Darius. Like no, he no, he's trying to kill King Darius, the king of Persia. Okay. So you know when 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 you you have other civilizations, like even when Egypt was a what was the mighty you know power it, that it was. They're not trying to intercede on behalf. Like you know, they're they're conquering people, but but God loves the nation. In which then some people, and now I'm, I'm probably getting off track. But then some people would say, uh-huh. and I and I've I've shared this before in a message, and maybe even in a couple. But people would say, well, what about the Old Testament where God's people go into the promised land and annihilate and kill everybody? Well, if you read in context, you're actually going to see this in Genesis chapter 15. Mm -hmm. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, God is going to tell Abraham, yes, this is the land I'm I'm going to give you and your descendants. But you cannot have it yet because the sin of the inhabitants aren't yet complete. In other words, God is going to be patient and long-suffering for the inhabitants there, and that patience and long-suffering is God's grace towards them, so he's not going to immediately wipe them out. He's going to wait until he has to judge their sin, Mm -hmm. and so which is why Israel needed to follow the law of God. God is now going to foreshadow his kingdom in Israel. Mm. That's why he's going to give them his law. And it's going to entail, and I I did talk about this in Cultivate, but it's going to entail civil laws, how they relate in civilization and their culture, uh, in in kind of the day-to-day life. There are going to be ceremonial laws, how they relate to God in kind of the temple system. And then there are going to be moral laws, how they just live as as human beings in the midst of the world. And so they're going to have to follow these laws. And when and because God cannot use them as a tool of judgment unless they are living righteous lives in His in His vein, yes. in 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 accordance to what He's given them, because God is a God of integrity, which is why when you look at what happened in Joshua seven, mm-hmm. the sin of Achan, okay. so God had told them to to. Um, have complete like devote everything to complete destruction. Yes. Well, Achan didn't. He he actually stole some things actually from God because he did not devote to utter destruction. He stole some things and he hid them under the tent. And what does God do? He actually judges Israel. They lose the next battle at Ai. So Ai um and and Joshua's like, "Why in the world did we lose this battle?" And God's like, well, you got some sin in the camp. I cannot use you as a tool of judgment against the sin of the inhabitants when you yourselves are acting like the inhabitants. And so 
Um, so, the, so they deal with the sin of uh, Achan and his whole family. They kill them. And so now we're going back to being the tool of God's judgment to be able to judge the sin of the inhabitants. Mm-hmm. Again, because God is a God full of integrity. So that's the reason why, if you want to know why God, but here's the thing. He did not call them, and think about it. Um, so they were not called to do what every other kind of powerhouse w- did in that day. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So every other powerhouse wanted to conquer lands. Take it for themselves. Okay. Uh, but he chose. But he told them not to. And so that's why when you look at the promised land, it is a very small sliver of land. Mm-hmm. It's not that big of a land. Yeah. And so, but he's going to use them living in his land that he gave them under his rule and reign as a as supposed to be a light to the nations. Yeah. So, which is why all the surrounding nations, mm-hmm. he wanted them to hear about about who who he was yeah. through his people. So, anyways, I know I kind of you know I'm diving a little bit deeper into other el- you know kind of other elements, but I, I, I want to be very clear about some of those things. If if people are talking to to some that would say, well, God killed people in the Old Testament, well, you, you got to be. You got to understand the context, and you got to understand a, a really deeper understanding of what God is doing in the world to to be able to speak intelligibly about that. Well, that is why extra takes is for. Yeah. So, no apologies. You really got to give us deeper context, and this gives us wider. Now, you went on to start to talk. So, we know uh, the first question we have addressed here: Why does Jesus commission his church? How does the church engage in commission? Now, that has been really laid out, the, the, new, the new identity and our purpose and our, that we are supposed to be on mission. But then this is what that really fits all of the four C's you brought together, how we grow the church. I like when you said there are two forces or two sides of commission. Because we would just think that this is, yeah, we now know Jesus has called us, but it's said, which one is more important, whether it is the drawing out or the go, the drawing in or the going out? You made that very clear. You've been hinting it along, and you have wonderful diagrams to really show that. What's the magnet that we attract, and what's the one that we send? How do we do that? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, so, again, for those of you who are watching all of this online, I hope that you can see this. And if not, you probably can zoom in on your device. But as I create, and I know this slide, if you've never seen this slide, you know, if you've never even seen slides that I've created, like it can definitely be a little overwhelming. But all of the slides that I've been creating through this series has led up to this one slide. Because you have the kingdom of God on the left, you have the kingdom of, of man on the right, you had the, the center circle, which was red, talking about Jesus, of how he's redeeming a people, a kingdom for himself, okay? And so we're, the, we're mediating, so that's, but when you start adding connect, so we're, we're, we're his now new temple, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we are the housing kind of presence of, of, of Christ in the world as we come together for corporate worship to connect with one another and him. So, so you got that circle on here. Right. 
But then you look at cultivate. Well, what is the essence of how we are cultivated and shaped and formed in Jesus's image? We are embedded in Christ-centered community, so we're embedded in a church. Yes. We are submitting to the word, and we're exercising spiritual discipline. So those three circles are on overlay. You know, they're they're over the middle circle. Connect now. Then you looked at the four circles that we saw last week, how they overlap in the essence of care. Okay, so we have creation care, we have need care, we have family care, and we have temple care too. So, so those are the four elements of how we care. Now, again, that's that's overlaid on this. So, so now when you look at connect, cultivate, and care, those form the centripetal yes. aspects. Of how we become attractive. Now, if you remember last, you know, like the the week before last, mm-hmm. when I, you, you know, kind of, you know, finished with the game. Game, yeah. Like, Big. would you rather, like the the would you rather game, right? Mm-hmm. W- w- would you rather play on this golf course or that golf course? Would you rather drive this car or that car? Would you rather have that yard or this yard? Would you rather be part of that family or this family? Okay, what did it, what was the principle? Is that you are you, you are you know, you gravitate towards those those things that attract you. Yeah. Well, when the church connects, cultivates, and cares in the manner that God has called us to, we become an attraction force. We mm-hmm. become a magnet to the people living over in the kingdom of man, marred and entrenched in their brokenness. Okay, so so there's an element of the centripetal. The drawing in force. Mm-hmm. Okay, now there's that centrifugal. There's this going out. Okay, now you, and again, that's where I like the whole idea of being sent out on mission comes into high definition. Through Abraham, God is going to bless all the families of the earth. Yes. Okay, well, He's going to set it up to where there's going to be a land mm-hmm. through Israel, and there's this there's this huge though idea. In the Old Testament, that it's going to be predominantly a centripetal force first, because it's the promised land. It is a geographic space Mm -hmm. that God has given his people as now his people in the midst of the world, and there would be a drawing in. Now, you do see hints of a centrifugal mission. Mm -hmm. Now, the hints, though, of the centripetal or the centrifugal mission, the the going out, the being sent out, is predominantly seen in Jonah and predominantly seen in the exile. Mm -hmm. So, where he's going to send them to Babylon. Okay, so so now that takes on some different dimensions. Okay, okay, when we are sent out, what does it look like? For us to be sent out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and that's where you look at the partnering piece, the preservative piece, and the prayer and proclamation piece. You could even say a prophetic piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that, that, that you are telling the world something prophetic that they need to change in, in, in order to come into an ultimate piece. So you could say prayer, proclamation, or a prophetic. Okay, so either one. So when you look at the partnering piece, and I'm still continuing to hold this up so for you to, to see. So, so the partnering piece right up here. So when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, mm-hmm. they are serving in the king's court. That is a vocation. Right. Vocation. So, so I want us to think because this, this is so like this is so important when you, when you look at vocation. Because you have a vocation. 
And so individually, we all have this vocational call, a set of skills, giftings, abilities that God has given us to to work for the common good of the place in which we live, the community, the city in which we live. Even in, and I mean this even with a stay-at-home parent, mom, like, listen, that 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 is a call that God's placed on your life. And so I would always ask you to go, how can you, how can you connect with other moms as, as y'all are focusing on raising, you know, your children? Like, don't do it always in isolation because that is an element of your vocational call that God is specifically placed on you. But there is a partnering piece when that happens. Mm. So the church is supposed to partner with the larger community, with the larger city, predominantly through this idea of vocation. So we're going to do that individually. Mm-hmm. So again, we're all sent out. <laughs> Think about it. We're all sent out on a Monday individually to go into our different spheres of vocation, our right. different spheres of career. Okay. But then I even talked about corporately mm-hmm. how we are sent out to partner for the peace of the city. So we do that in various ways. We do that through partnering with the local government, uh, with apartment complexes, with public schools. And so we're constantly also, as a church, corporately, like Serve Day, would be a way that we are corporately partnering with the, the, the larger community to go and bring about the common good, the functionality to the flourishing of the region which God has placed us. But then there's going to be an element that we're we're dreaming up right now and thinking, okay, with with what God has done here at Northland, with all the resources that He's given us, mm-hmm. are there ways that we can create actually businesses that that live within the community? Like the bookstore would be an example of that. Is that we've created a a, a business years ago called a bookstore uh, to operate in, in a manner that brings about the the common good of the city. Okay, so but we're what but what we would actually look at is are there other ways that we can create sustainable, legitimate businesses that seek the common good, the functionality and flourishing of our region? Okay, mm-hmm. so so that's partnering peace. So the predominant way that we're going to partner for the peace, the, the flourishing of the place in which God has sent us mm-hmm. is really through vocation. Um, and we see that in exile, okay? The second is the, the, the preservative piece. Mm-hmm. Because when we, when we go into an area, there's going to be a lot of brokenness mm-hmm. and needs that are in that city. Why? Because needs, areas of brokenness are just a manifestation of sin, which is why we should always be humble because we live and operate from a place of brokenness, knowing that we've been marred by sin, but in Jesus, he's redeemed us, and he's putting us back together. So so when God's people are sent out to a city, they're going to be looking for the manifestations of the brokenness of sin, and then they're going to be looking for ways, how can they operate in a way of preservation? Because salt was a way to preserve things from from really decaying, going, going back. 
So now we're going to go into a community and city and go, okay, where, where, where are the pockets of really, you know, brokenness that no one's attending to and let's attend to them. Mm-hmm. See, what you actually see throughout church history, one of the ways that the church really did grow in the first three centuries of, uh, of their existence was actually through this preservative piece. Mm-hmm. So they, they sought to be a preservative of how women were treated. They sought to be a preservative of how how babies and orphans were treated like so in some sense in the early in, in, in well I say in the first century when Rome was the dominant empire there 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 wasn't as much uh, you know abortions that that would happen as as like today right. because it wasn't safe so it wasn't medically safe for the the woman to have an abortion in that day now it was practiced but what was more what was practiced more was infanticide so they would have the baby yeah. but they would leave the baby out on the garbage heap mm. well what what the what the early church did is that they would go to these places where babies were left and they would take the babies in and they would raise the babies. So again, that was an act of preser- you know, preservation. Uh, when plagues would hit the city and people would flee the city because they didn't have the sanitation that we have today. So when plagues would hit the city, the church stayed and ministered to the needs. I mean, so, and you have all of these, you have all of these writings, even from non-Christians that talk about how the, how the, how these Christians met the needs in a way that preserved and protected life. So that's what we're going to do. And so we do this, you know, so so again, you might do it individually. Yes. If something happens, maybe where you work or in your subdivision, like you, you can meet individual needs. Um, but when it comes to corporate, corporate ways that we meet needs, like we partner with, um, you know, agencies and organizations that are seeking to meet the needs. Because, and again, this is a partnering piece, or no, this is a preservative piece of how we're sent out. Yeah. Now, now remember, you know, under care, yes. you, you know, we're meeting the needs of the body, yeah. but our preservative piece is this now corporate presence and our institutional presence, which I said in every gathering, which is why we have created Mercy Road. Mercy Road is our institutional presence that we have now created to help find pockets where needs need to be met. So that's why Mercy Road is this idea that we are, we're on this journey and we are looking for needs in the central Florida region that have not been met, that need to be met, and we meet them in the name of Jesus because we are a preservative peace. And then the last one, and we're sent out now to be a proclamation piece, right. even a prayer piece. We're going to pray for the flourishing of the city. We're going to pray for the flourishing of the region. And we're also going to proclaim through our distinctiveness. And that's the thing. So connect, cultivate, care. Those are going to form our distinctiveness in, in the midst of where we've been sent and we're going to make sure that we are in the world, but we're not of it. Yes. So this is why we're sent out to be in, but not of. 
So that, that's the element of the proclamation piece. It's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they never, cro- they, they never wanted to cross the line. So when the kings would issue decrees that would, if they would have followed those decrees, they would have crossed the line of their distinctiveness. Uh-huh. And they said, we're not going to cross the line uh-huh. uh, because there is an ultimate authority whose name is Yahweh, and, and we worship him supremely. So so we honor you as as the king and the emperor, the, the earthly kind of king and emperor, but we do not worship you. Mm-hmm. So anytime your decrees infringe upon our allegiance and worship to our ultimate king, Yahweh, we cannot follow. And so we are proclaiming another peace. Now, and what you see with, you know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took the punishment because there might mm. be a punishment. Because, again, there is a cost to mission. Yes. So he goes all the way back to that cost of mission. Yeah. Now, for Israel in the promised land, there there wasn't this kind of cost that you see in exile. Okay, mm-hmm. so because when you are the distinct people of God who will not cross the line on certain things, then you will have to face the consequences of living in the foreign land. But what we see, and this is part of why, like my heart beats this way, mm. is that when we refuse to capitulate and to assimilate into a pagan way of living— God miraculously shows up. Mm-hmm. He miraculously shows up. Yeah, and so and that's but but here's the thing: like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't belligerent. They weren't angry. They weren't mad. They weren't trying to force their hand. They weren't telling Nebuchadnezzar, "Hey, listen, uh, you need to do it this way." They weren't telling Darius, "You need it." No, they, they they owned their distinctiveness even when it cost them their life, but it was in their allegiance. It was in their loyalty. It was in their maintaining of their distinctiveness as God's people that God showed up in miraculous ways. And that's what I truly believe God can do even now in the 21st century is that we can we be disappointed of where our nation is headed sure be disappointed but we do not need to be angry we do not need to be vitriolic uh, we do not need to be forceful uh, we do not need to be vindictive uh, we do not need to be assaulting or assaulting you know um people because of how they are living, what we actually need to do is to get back to the basics of what it means to be God's people, that we connect, we cultivate, we care, and that's that centripetal force, but we also reclaim this centrifugal, this sent-outness, and we understand, hey, we're going to partner, even with Babylon, even with sinful, secular, progressive America, there are ways that we can partner. And then we're going to act as a preservative piece, and then, though, we're going to make sure that we are proclaiming claiming a better peace. Mm. We're going to uh, we're going to make sure that we are proclaiming a a a peace that surpasses all understanding and his name is Jesus because he is the prince of peace. So we're going to proclaim and we're going to pray. We're going to we're going to ask that the Lord give us the nations. We're going to ask that the Lord gives us uh, the young people, uh, young men, young women, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, men, women of of every age. We're going to pray that way. Because he sent us out. He has sent us out to be 
his distinct people in the middle of the world. And so that's the centrifugal and the centripetal. And so I still think it's there. That, that that's what, so, so it's the magnets and it's the arrows. You are sent out. And so uh, – like, like even another way to even think about it is, um, you know, so under cultivate, I had the moon, yes. I had the sun, and I had the earth. So, so uh, you, you know, when whenever we wanted to kind of you know send people into space, you have to have a centrifugal force. Oh, send them out. Like there, there has to be enough power to send you out. Right, because you're going against a lot of things. Uh, but one of the things that I learned in Apollo 13, that movie, or Apollo, yeah, <laughs> Apollo 13, yeah, that there there is also a centripetal. Oh, I also learned it in the movie uh, Martian. Oh, you, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Marsh, the Martian, or anyways, it was Matt Damon and his mission to Mars. He was going to use, in some sense, this drawing in of the moon. Once you got into this gravitational pull, yes. he was going to use it to catapult back. Back. You, you know, level. and so anyway, so even in even in science yes. and how the, the, the sun, the moon and the earth work together, there is a gravitational pull where if you if you, you know, you're going to have to use some centrifugal force, but then you're going to use the centripetal force. That's what's happening here. We're going to use the centrifugal force of what he sent us in to do. Partner, preserve, proclaim. But while we are connecting, cultivating, and caring, we are now formulating the centripetal pull. And so you need both dynamics. You need both forces at work for, when I say the manifesting power and presence of God Mm -hmm. to be on display. Yeah. That's what we need. I am loving this, Pastor Josh. (laughs) One of the things as a missiologist, that's what you have this uh, PhD in, you have seen the history of the church, of this commission being sent out. What are some of the things in your studies, you know, you've read books and you've written articles and that. What have you seen that is the place of the church that Jesus is commissioning us to go? What are these steps that we're learning? And what are some resources you can even reference us to, to say, yeah. you know what? Over my studies and over the history of the church, I have seen that these are tools and resources that can help us to be able to be on commission where Jesus is sending his church today. Yeah, these are just a few of resources. So John Stott, his book, uh, Christian Mission in the Modern World, it's uh, it's awesome. Like, I'm telling you, awesome, great work. Uh, If you want to learn a little bit more about mission in the Old Testament, so Walter Kaiser has written the book, Mission in the Old Testament. He even talks about centripetal and centrifugal force. Uh, you have Bible and Mission, so this is uh, by Richard Balcom. Uh, it's actually a very accessible book to understand from beginning to end, so from Genesis to Revelation, uh, the Bible and Mission, how, how it all works together. So very accessible book, um, and it talks about you know the witness in a postmodern world. I, I've shared this one before. Um, this is Michael Goheen's book, A Light to the Nations, and so he, he again he charges all of these, you know, these accounts, this kind of larger narrative 
to talk about how we as the church really, uh, you know, we really are the light uh, to the world now. And then the, the last one is the church on mission. I think this is by Craig, yeah, Craig Ott, uh, the church on mission. Just what does it mean to be on mission? What does it mean to be sent? So these are all, um, the, the, these are all resources that are very accessible, uh, so they're not as you know. Uh, some of them are heady, but but I mean, I could I could share some definitely some books that are very heady and make you you know give you a headache. But those are all accessible you know resources to learn more about mission. I really appreciate you sharing these resources for us as a church because these four C's as we are now bringing all of them together. Yeah. This in this season of Northland, where do you see this is going to be leading Northland? We've gone through it for these um, weeks. Thank you for teaching us that and preaching and leading. Now, how do we start to grow Northland to be the church that is going out and and making a difference? Which one of these do we need to grow as a church? Yeah, well, so here's I mean, like, so now now the series is over. So if you remember, if y'all were here, if any of you were here last year this time, we had just wrapped up our series called Northland 2.0, yes. where we unpacked the mission statement. Mm-hmm. So we unpacked the mission statement early last year. Yes. Our TED series last year was a series where we unpacked our major doctrinal beliefs, our primary doctrines, and then this series unpacked our four C's. So they have all been intentional. All of them have laid a foundation. So now we have a foundation. Now we have all of, in some sense, the framework of our convictions, our primary doctrines, a mission of why we believe that God has us here on his mission, and we've defined that, and then now we have defined the four C's of what it means to participate in God's mission. So now it's all about consistency and development around that framework and foundation. Right. And so when we do our church membership classes, mm-hmm. it, it will go through all three of them. It will go through our primary doctrines. It will go through our mission statement, and it will go through our four C's. Now, because we just went over our four C's, the membership class is going to be more of a reminder now of here's what we primarily believe right. that we're all align, aligning around, and I'm going to remind us or teach us if you haven't if you weren't here when I did it in 2022 wow. this made for mission. So we're going to unpack in detail once again God's mission. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and so this is part of what is it's so important. I know maybe, and which I don't think, I've not heard anybody say, gosh, it is so redundant, I'm bored. Uh, but it actually is somewhat redundant. It is just recounting the, the story of God, which is the mission of God. Yes. So the story of God is the mission of God. It's the mission that he has for his people. And so so that's what, you know, the relaunching of church membership mm-hmm. this year will be about right. is just reminding people of this mission in detail right. and how once again these four Cs are connected to that mission and just reminding people here are our primary doctrines because church membership is ultimately aligning around our convictions, our primary doctrines, our mission which is embedded in the mission of God and 
our vision, which are the four C's of what God's people do to participate in his mission. So that's what ultimately church membership is an alignment around. And it's also where you do become part of the family, not part of a number. Or you, Like we don't want you to be a number. We want you to be part of a family. And it's also a way for us to know that you have given us permission to care for you well. And so that, you know, so in Hebrews 13, the author talks about how leaders of of Jesus's church have been tasked with overseeing the souls of people. So so this idea of oversight of people is just a way to care well. So so to oversee, to care well, to make sure you're 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 healthy. Uh, and if you have a need that like we want to meet that need, right? So so that's ultimately what church pr- membership practically is for. It's for you to become part of the family, not a number. For you to have this alignment around the convictions or the doctrines, the mission and the vision, and then uh, for you to enter into a framework where we can care for you well, because that's part of where we want to share the expectations that God has for the leaders of the church to care well for the 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 people of the church. So. What I like about that, we're calling each other to the place of accountability under the leadership of God. And you've always emphasized that, that this is his church. Jesus is building his church. So we're inviting those who we want to consider March the 2nd from 9 to 12, where you'll be leading us in that relaunch of the membership made for mission. So you can go online and you can register and be able to spend that time with us. Yes. So they will be able to care for the people. Yeah. But also, what about those who are not yet ready and yeah. says, what What are the other levels of engagement? You've talked a little bit about that. So flesh that out. What are levels of engagement apart from those who are going to be yeah, members? J- yeah, just to remind people, levels of engagement, you're exploring. Mm-hmm. So you can be either exploring Christ because you, you've never trusted Christ as King, Savior, Lord. You can be exploring a church, like well, what church am I going to partner with? What church is a good fit in some sense for, for whether it's you or your family? Then you're going to move to attending, like you're going to start attending, and that's part of that connecting, right? You're going to connect with God's people and and God Himself. But but he's also, and that's where a lot of people do sit. Mm-hmm. But he he wants you to be involved. Yes. Uh, but even more more from involved, he wants you to be partnered. So, but you can move from exploring to attending to involved. But that last step, that last level of engagement, is is membership. Is to really be partnered with uh, with one of God's local churches. And so, uh, and maybe some of you are not ready for that yet. So continue to attend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can continue. to to be involved, but now one of the things I do want to be, kind of be clear on is that if you ever want to occupy a place of leadership here, mm-hmm. like if you want to teach children, you want to teach students, you want to lead out in a life group, a smaller group, mm-hmm. so any kind of leadership position here, 
you will have to be a member, a partnered member in order to lead out because that's where that alignment happens. So we know that that leader is aligned with us doctrinally, missionally, and from the 4C vision standpoint. So so you can still be involved. I mean, you can go to a life group. You can you, There is even ways that you can serve and, and not be a partnered member here. Uh, but you will never be able to hold a leadership position without having become a, a partnered member at Northland. Well, this is exciting because you watching the time there. How are we doing? Uh, we 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 we're about an hour and fifteen minutes. Into oh it, yes, so. yeah. Well, I want to finish <laughs> yeah. with this. We're just yeah. finishing engage, Pastor yeah. Josh. The great excitement of this series now that is going to be launching us out and. What is next? What are we going to be looking forward to as we wrap up Engage? Uh, can you tease out anything for us out there? Yeah, so we're starting our Empowered series, uh, the Book of Acts. So we have we we did this last year because before I came, you started yes. the Book of Acts, just waiting walking through it. Yes, yeah, wait, waiting for me, <laughs> wait, waiting for me. Yeah. Because in March, so yeah. March will be two years oh. since yes. the Lord called me here. Praise so March God. of this year will be two years, Praise and so we're going to go back into the Book of Acts. Will be in Acts fifteen, and it actually is a great chapter to dive into after our Engage series because this chapter, Acts 15, gives us a glimpse of how it's very easy for a church to get off the gospel track. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so like if you think about train tracks and yes. the gospel's on train tracks, uh, Acts 15 shows us how it's easy to, de- you know, kind of derail uh, a church from being on the gospel track. And so uh, I can't wait to kind of dive back into the series Empowered where we're just walking uh, chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. So we're going back into our Empowered series. So Exciting. From Engage to Empowered. Engage to Empowered. Well, so thank you so much, North and family and friends for joining us for another episode of Extra Takes. Uh, you are deeply, deeply loved, not only by us, but most importantly by our King himself. Blessings. Amen. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.